You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 121 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom. I'm here with my co-host, Lee Fields, and uh, we're going to have a good chat today. How you doing, Lee? Fantastic. Tea time approaching in three hours. <laughs> so this podcast is going to be shorter than three hours. We know that. That's good. I love it that you've gotten so much into golf lately. You're just speaking my language. I know. I'm a, I'm a vegan. I'm anti-hunting. Oh, my I've gosh. I've sold all my guns and bows. Now you've stopped speaking my language. I was only <laughs> talking about golf. Uh, so for those of you who listen all the time, you'll know that golf is kind of my main hobby. And Lee has taken up golf a little stronger these days because his son is getting into golf. So it's a great right. way to connect with family and Dakota's doing great. In fact, I think the other day he probably beat you. And so he did, he shot a 90 from the same tees that I shot from and I shot a 100. Wow. It's pretty, pretty tough when you're having to give your son, your 13 year old son shots on the golf course. It is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's not bad. We've been playing a lot, and the more I play, the worse I'm getting. <laughs> so when we, uh, I'll be in Knoxville in a few weeks, and our buddy Dylan, who we'll have some news to share about Dylan soon, by the way, um, Dylan's stepdad, I think it's fair to say that it's his ex-stepdad, but it's his stepdad, um, is a professional golfer at a country club. He's the golf pro. So I'm getting a lesson from Rich. That's amazing. Yeah. And not only is it a lesson, we're going to play a full round. Oh, playing lesson is even better. Yeah. Because then he can talk to you about course management and short game and all that stuff that you wouldn't normally get on a just a full swing lesson. So I'm going to come home and just destroy my 13-year-old golf. <laughs> That's what I'm going to try and do. That's a good goal. Life goals. Yeah. No, I'm not vegan anymore, but I, I have decided this year to back off the hunting expeditions and time a bit spend more time with dakota on the golf course that's good yeah well it's you know some people have multiple expensive hobbies but i can only have one expensive hobby and i chose golf so yeah, me too you know the people who do hunting it's like that's their thing or fly fishing or golf or skiing it's like those are all really expensive things and so pick one and dig in Oh, I didn't tell you this yet. Uh, my daughter, Britton, went to the driving range with us yesterday. Did she smoke everybody? N no, it, it, it was rough, but she had fun. And so today we're playing this afternoon and she's going to join us for the whole round. Oh, that's amazing. So we went to Target last night and bought a skirt and a polo for her because she didn't have anything. You know, for girls, it's all about the outfits. It totally was. And yeah. that's what did it. It's like, we'll go to Target and buy a new outfit. And she was like, okay, I'll play golf. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's how you can get Stella on the golf course. Let's oh, go she, buy her some. Yeah. I, I really wish that she had gotten into it earlier. She, She's a good athlete. She just doesn't love it, but she's she can hit the ball. She just. Yeah. But for a girl, like if you can break 90, you can go to college for free. Right. So. Right. Maybe she'll be great at it and you'll have that to look forward to maybe maybe um so we have some big news about the mxu tour we do uh there's now free tickets available apparently <laughs> well we have some good news from our friends at church gear so they've decided that if you're like doing a summer cleanup project at your church and you've run into a closet full of gear 
that you no longer need, obviously church gear is the place to get money for that gear. But to support the MXU Tour, they've decided that for every $1,000 worth of gear that a church sells, they will buy them a ticket to the MXU Tour. And so basically, you can exchange your gear for up to four tickets to the MXU Tour. So what you do is you go to their website, submit a list of the gear, and basically, for every $1,000 worth of gear that they buy, they'll buy you a ticket to the city of your choice. Then you bring the gear to that city, and they haul it away for you. Um, so basically, there's no excuse now. Now the tour is free for at least up to four people on your team. Right. And you know everybody's got a stack of 600 megahertz wireless sitting in a closet somewhere that 100%. they can bring. 100%. Yep. That's awesome. So churchgear.com for further details. Exactly. And if you've already got your tour tickets, then bring the gear anyway. And anything that they buy, they'll buy a ticket for a church production person who couldn't afford to come. I mean, I just love these guys even more. I know. It's great. So go get your tickets to the MXU tour. Um, also, early bird pricing is ending soon. Yeah, that's a big deal. So a lot of churches' uh, fiscal years ended June 30th, and so now they have new budgets. And so maybe the opportunity is open for spending approval and all those things. And so July is the time to buy your tickets if you haven't bought them already because early bird pricing ends at the end of July. So Atlanta, Dallas, Chicago, September 9th, September 13th, September 16th. Go to getmxu.com slash live to buy your tickets before early bird pricing ends. Awesome. And then come join us for a big old party with John Salangena from Elevation Church. Corey Edwards will be mixing. Daniel Cannell doing lighting. Rusty Anderson doing video. And again, we've said it. We're going to beat that dead horse, but you you and your team will leave there with more understanding and a deeper level of skills to pull off a weekend service. Yeah. Everything from programming, worship leading, playing the instruments, miking the instruments, lighting the instruments, and cutting cameras, all of it. Yeah. I really think that for people who come, their services will be better that first weekend because of what they experience from what they learn because these are world-class experts who are basically programming and executing a service from early in the morning till the end of the day. And you'll learn best practices and tips and tricks from all of, all of the aspects of production. So every discipline has an opportunity to get better right away. And it'll impact your leadership as a leader of the team. And it'll also impact all the people that you bring who are in each discipline. So bring your whole team and it's gonna be a blast. It's so much fun. So, and a big old DMB PA. Absolutely. And may or may not be in Soundscape. We're working out those details, but I'm, I'm hoping it's in Soundscape. Yeah. Am I saying that right? The PA is in Soundscape. Like it's, it's in surround sound or it's in I don't Atmos. Know. I don't know. It's not in Atmos. No, it's not. But like when you go to the movie, you're like, did you see Top Gun? Yeah. Did you see it in Atmos? No, I saw it in a theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there may be a soundscape system in the building. There may be. 
But it will be the new XSL PA, same yeah. one we had last year. Same PA we had last year, which sounds amazing. Yep. And the venues are going to be great as well. So we're really, really excited. Awesome. Well, we have kind of a tough topic to dig into today. Yeah. Tough is a good word for it. Um, we've been wanting to talk about this for a while. I just didn't know when. Well, and let me let me just start by saying we, you know, Lee and I personally and MXU as a company believe that the local church is plan A for the gospel. Totally. In other words, when when Jesus said, This is what I'm gonna leave you to do, and the church started and spread all over the world, we believe that that is still the case and that churches are the best thing that could happen to a community. So that's just a pretext for all that we're going to say from this point forward, because I don't want anyone to hear that we don't like the local church or that we're not on board with Jesus' mission for the church in our communities. No, and you know the skeptics would say, oh, you have to say that. Your whole business is built on it. But I don't know. That's That's true. But it's you true, also but just I have would to believe, believe that. Us. Yeah, I'd believe that even if I wasn't a part of MXU. No, totally. Me, well, I spent 10 years on staff at churches before we started this. Right. So right. I'd never done anything for 10 years, let alone had the same job. So um, and be married and be a dad. Those are the only things I've done. <laughs> um but I also I wanted some time to just think about what my personal thoughts on it were. Yeah. I don't feel like it was a topic just to ramble about. And just come up with my thoughts in real time. On the fly, yeah. Although they're still changing, and they may still change again. Um, But I'll tell you what really kicked this into gear when I think I text you or there was a group text. It's like, okay, let's talk about this. There seems to be a collision of the frequency of memes being made about it, the frequency of podcasts and documentaries and prominent people in our community leaving their jobs and um you know this anonymous q a thing i did on instagram i guess it's been over a week yeah over a week now and it was this like send your questions in anonymous and then i would read them in this app and then respond to them on my instagram stories well there were a few hundred submissions yeah but probably i don't know 40 or 50 were about people wanting to leave their job because it's toxic. And some of them were, I want to leave my church because uh, the culture is toxic, but I haven't been directly affected by it. It was just this thing of like, well, church is bad, so I should leave, even though they didn't have any firsthand experience or... um, Nothing had happened to them specifically. Yeah. Or maybe even anyone on their staff. There's just this thing happening where the entire church is being labeled of having toxic leadership problems or not good for family or or whatever. And the headline I'm saying is I think the actions of a few, and I mean a literal few, like let's just let's be ag- aggressive and conservative and say f- 50 churches are giving in the US alone the other 340 350,000 a bad name right 
And like when you look at it that way, it really is like the 1% of 1%. So, yeah, that's what we kind of wanted to talk about. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a lot of things at play. I mean, obviously, you know, the whole um the whole culture of fame and Instagram and following and all that is is a thing. The fact that big pastors are also authors and speakers and all that is a thing. Um, the fact that, you know, because of YouTube and social media and streaming and all that, every church has a chance to look at all these big churches and see what they're doing. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, a FOMO or an imposter syndrome or, you know, whatever that is. Um, you know, and cancel culture and cancel now. culture, right? So there's there's more opportunity than ever for people to get disillusioned, right. um, and so you know there's a lot of things we can talk about. Too many times, local church staffs are looking at things like, and we'll, we can just be specific. I mean, whether it's whether it's Mars Hill or Hillsong or whatever other documentary is out there or podcast or whatever. Right. You know, they're they're looking to that as a sign of dysfunction, not just in those particular communities, but in the church as a whole. And I would say that's that's a bit of a stretch. But the other problem is if the public at large has a perception that those churches and their problems or any any specific church and their problems is a reflection of the big C church. Right. That's where that's where it gets really dangerous to me. Yeah. Most churches, the overwhelming majority of churches in America are still less than 200 people and are mostly led by bivocational pastors. Right. And volunteer production teams. Right. And so to to throw the baby out with the bathwater is just a really dangerous thing, especially when like I said earlier, the church is plan A. It is the way the gospel is going to get to the world. And so there's just so many, so many layers of complexity in this. Yep. And because of the access to all of the show, quote unquote, that people have nowadays, you know, it's too easy for the public at large to just make assumptions about what they see on TV and just equate that to that's what church is. Yep. And it's it's hard for us because we want to support churches who are using technology to pull off what they do. And so it's like on one hand, the technology that we're advocating for is partly to blame for that access that people have. So we're living in a tension. And so it's like our job is to help churches steward and craft a healthy vision for what their community can do and what it should be, while at the same time using the very technology that gets it out there that is going to be that broadcast to what people see and perceive as the church. Right. Um, other just general high-level statements about the whole thing, too, are... Like the fact that people are leaving their occupations because of some of this mm -hmm. and then choosing to go tour. That was one thing I talked about in another post. 
that one bothered me because I felt like you may you may be in a bad situation or not ideal situation, but leaving to go to another bad situation may not be the best idea. Right. You know? I think anybody who's been on tour can tell you that if you are a husband and a dad of a young family, touring is a bad idea. Right. And I you're right. I may you I'm were right. I it may it may be too general and too blanket of a statement to say that, but I'm telling you it takes a special marriage and a special man, I'll just use man because I am one, to be able to just navigate all that's required from a life on the road. Totally. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that, whether that's people that are on the road and their families and relationships are falling apart or that they're going great. I think that they would both say, no, it takes an extra amount of energy and dedication. Even if you're single, just the mental health aspect, the physical health aspect, it is harder than going to Home Depot and working nine to five, five days a week. Yeah. And you could argue that that's true for any job that requires that amount of travel. I mean, whether it's, whether it's a, a guy who does sales and travels five days a week and is home on weekends, or whether it's a touring person who is a weekend warrior who's gone Thursday to Monday on a tour, it's difficult. I will yep. say that the touring, the music touring lifestyle is a little bit different in that, especially for Christian tours and somebody just starting out, your day is typically eight to midnight. So you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not getting the kind of communication opportunities with home that you need to. I mean, there's a lot more sort of pressure on your ability to maintain a healthy perspective in touring than there would be on another job that's travel. But yeah, and there's a lot of temptation on the road too. So it, it takes a it takes a, a unique person to be able to pull that off well. It is. Let's let's go back to the church for a second. I know we're hopping around. There's just so much to talk about. And and also we're having this conversation this week to prep for a conversation that's coming potentially next week depends on this person's schedule. And we're actually bringing on a senior pastor of a mega church and not a small mega church, a 20,000 plus mega church. So there there aren't but maybe 10 churches in the country this size and the guy that's coming on here, we kind of hand picked because I feel like he can speak. I'm not going to tell his story for him, but I think he can speak to both sides of this. Yeah. Some of the um, behaviors, I guess we could say. And then also some of the, there are great churches at that size as well. Um, so that's coming. So obviously look for that. But yeah, so this is really just part one of the conversation. Yeah. Um. I know for me, let's say you use the Mars Hill podcast, be able to get real specific. When I listen to it and I listen to all of it, I remember, and by the way, this was a, probably a month after I left staff at Bayside and I'm listening to this conversation. And I remember listening, almost trying to find similarities in the culture. Mm. Now I'll say, there were some, there, there were for sure some similarities, but I was also looking for them to justify why I left. 
Hmm. Because, you know, you think like, is that gaslighting or was I, was I over, well, what do you call it? Like I'm trying to justify my own actions or right. why, why I felt like I couldn't be there anymore. Why I felt like I needed to move on or was I being gaslit? Like, I, I mean, I was really digging in hard, but then also going, see, I'm not crazy. Like there are some crazy, the crazy stuff happened and I should have left. But then the further I get away from it, and I think part of that's due to some like healing and um, yeah, due to some healing. I, I think I can look back on it and honestly say it's such an edge case. Okay. So like my, my specific example and definitely the Mars Hill example, it's such an edge case that I don't feel like 99.9% of people saying that the church culture, cause that's what they're saying. They're not saying mega church culture. They're saying church culture is in bad enough shape that the whole thing needs torn down or reformed, or we need to rethink the way we do this, or you're just filling the blank. There's all right, kinds of things right. being said, um, or memes being made about camera operators finally getting paid because they took the shot of the pastor's wife with their, their hands raised on iMac. You know, it's like, it's all over the place, but it's such an edge case. Like I said, I was talking to a friend of mine at a birthday party two nights ago, and he's atheist and he did not used to be. And he used to go to a mm. mega church here in town. And we're talking about all this. It came up and I said, yeah, I just feel like the whole church is getting painted with a broad brush because of the actions of a few. And then I said, do you realize how many mega churches there are in the country? Like how, how many would you think? And he guessed some preposterous number. And I said, no, like 3000 people and up. It's like, I'm going to be super conservative. I'm going to maybe double it. There's like 400. Right. And he's like, what? He, he thought there'd be that many in California. Right. And I'm like, no, no, no. Churches of 3000 people with that many people in attendance on weekends in the U S maybe 400. And how many of uh, churches are above 10,000? It's like 50. It's only less than a hundred, 30 or 40. So how many churches would even have the opportunity to have a camera operator say, maybe I'll, I'll finally start to get paid. Right. It's not a lot. Right. And of those, like the camera operator thing, of those, most camera operators that are volunteers are not 20 years old and they're not looking for a job. Right. They are dentists or they work in a muffler shop in Boise. You know, they, they're just there because they think there's a need to be filled, not because they think, well, maybe if they take my camera shot, I'll finally get paid. I think some of it is cultural in that, you know, the the Gen Z, yeah, I mean, the younger than millennial tech volunteer is, you know, their only experience is the sort of social media, memes, video games, all that culture. And so that's that's what they think it's all about. Whereas these, you know, the, the mega churches that are more established that maybe have been around for a generation that started, you know, their camera ops started to support a TV ministry, not a website or their local iMag just for their church before YouTube and social media. Like those guys, you're right. You know, they have a career outside of 
church production. They're just a volunteer. They're really good at what they do for their day job, and they're also really good at serving their church. And so they, the thought for them would have never been, ooh, man, maybe they'll, maybe they'll use my post in helping to promote our conference this year or whatever. It's like right. I, I, I can't conceive of that thought in my mind because I'm old. It's like I, I couldn't care less about whether or not my content gets on our website or our social media feed. But right. it, it's just a it's a it's a weird thing. It is a weird thing, and I, this leads into what uh, something else I wanted to say. And I'm and I'm not saying this to justify some of the ridiculous behavior of some pastors right. or some people, because that's really what we're talking about. It's people. But like the camera operator thing, I think that goes back to the camera operator. Of course, I, I don't think that's the pastor's fault, and right. I don't think it's a toxic leadership culture fault. Right. And just like I think some of the reasons that our community and people that are paying us money, how about this? What I'm about to say, I think some of the reason you're in the situation you're in is your fault because you answer the phone call at 1030 at night and set with the pastor on the phone till midnight, fixing a sermon on his keynote that's due the next morning to be on the screens in church. Right. And you didn't say anything. Because you haven't done what you need to set any sort of appropriate boundary at all. Now, and that's a that's a tricky thing because some of that is based out of a fear-based culture that the pastor may have established. Or, right. or it may be that you're just assuming that you should be afraid because stuff hasn't been communicated and there really isn't any vision for what this should be. So it is, it, it does go both ways. It is two-sided. There are, you know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. But the fact is, and this, you know, this was somebody's comment in our text thread that you mentioned before, you know, the fact is that there are some pastors who do have a problem with $2,000 sneakers, a private jet, Ruth's Chris for lunch and 10,000 followers, you know? And so it's like, there is, there is some of that, but it's not, it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not safe to presume that all big churches have those problems. No. And I don't think it's even safe to think that if you're at, look, look, small churches can have those problems too, right? They can, it may not be a private jet and $2,000 off whites. It may be just, they abuse those boundaries. Right. Or they have, or they have a extra cozy relationship with the local car dealer. I mean, it's, you know, it, it may happen on a smaller scale in the middle of Iowa but it still happens, you know. So it does still happen. It doesn't have to be, you know, the guy with a YouTube channel with two million subscribers. No, but I'd also say, do you think it's going to be any different working for that new band? Do you think the lead singer is any different? Do you think the manager of the Home Depot is any different? Right. He's sleeping around on his wife and to tell her to her face and can't lose his job. Right. Like there's no difference. I think though the now, problem is people think it should be different because it's the church, and. They don't understand that at the end of the day, it's people and people are flawed and broken. And that's where the problem is. It is. And the difference would be the spiritual abuse part of it. It's no, you need to bring me my coffee when I walk in the room because I'm a man of God and I'm, I'm set to be here and you're called to be here. Now that's just bull. And somebody should call him out for that. And you probably should quit your job like that. That's a different thing than we work in an event-driven 
environment. It's long hours, whether you're doing this at church or you're in a hotel ballroom with speakers on a stick or you're in a stadium and cold plays playing. It's still 18 hours a day. It's still high pressure. It still has to be mistake free. It's, it's all the same, right? Mm-hmm. But in church, it's, well, they're a pastor. This is all supposed to be, you know, lovey dovey and follow God's commandments that everyone's supposed to be perfect. Well, that's not going to happen. And somewhere something got screwed up where pastors started doing more than just shepherding. They're running, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, $100 million businesses at the same time. And that I think is where it gets complicated. Yeah. And it's the accountability goes lower, the money goes up, the platforms get bigger, and the human side just comes out and it comes to the top. Okay, so that okay, all of that, the last 20 minutes have set the stage for this two-part conversation. So we are actually thrilled to be joined today by our good friend Nick Kofall, who is one of the owners at Summit Integrated. And they're one of our integrator partners, great friends. And Nick is a good person to sort of dive into this conversation with because he cares a lot about the local church in general, but this aspect of the local church particularly. And so, Nick, welcome to the MXU podcast. You popped onto my screen at the perfect time because we were in the middle of a segue and you you got us. Yeah, so you actually jumped on to Zoom here about five minutes ago in the middle of uh, Jeff and I's monologue. So there you go. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was difficult to sit here for five minutes and not say anything. Um, I wasn't quite sure uh, what was totally going on, but it was a real robust dialogue that I was excited to jump into. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm jump- I'm excited to jump in and have this conversation because I think there's a lot of complexity to the topic. Um, and I think that there's a lot of different angles at which you can kind of look at. But um, certainly we're running ourselves into... Uh, unfortunately, what I think is a, a very common problem that we're starting to see over and over and over again. So that's my, that's my. Yeah, theory. and we have already jumped around a little bit and gone down a couple yeah. of rabbit trails. So, audience, please forgive us if we're not sort of following an outline here because a lot of this is kind of stream of consciousness. But yeah. it's be, it's because there are so many layers and that it is so complicated because we all want to find the right best path forward in how to give people good advice and how to maybe identify problems that are real problems versus things that you just don't care for and therefore you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, right. um, you know, forgive our sort of randomness at times, but it's a conversation worth having. So um, we're just, we're going to keep talking. Yeah, I think Jeff, you made this really interesting point around, um, you know, we're dealing with with people at the end of the day, um, and I think that, um, you know, there was some parallel there between like working in the secular world and your boss at Home Depot versus even your you know pastor in your church and that kind of a thing. And I think that the truth is is that we're all broken and we're all fallible. Um, and at the end of the day. There is this thing um, where we all want to be successful and we all want to build something. Um, in the church world, we talk a lot about we want to, you know, build something uh, because of legacy and we want to build something for, um, you know, the kingdom and we want all these things. But uh, and in the secular world, we all want to be successful, feed our families, and rise to the top of the corporate food chain. But uh, both of those quests uh, actually. Um, 
they're okay in their own right. But truthfully, I think one of the biggest parts that plays in all of it is ego um, and pride. And ultimately, I think that uh, no matter how uh, great of a pastor or communicator or spiritual leader you want to be, like you still have your own ego and your own pride that you have to deal with. Um, and you still are working out your salvation with fear and trembling every single day. Um, and, uh, and if you're uh, you know, a boss at Home Depot, you're still doing the same thing. Um, and ultimately, you've got to deal with the ramifications. Both uh, scenarios, you have to deal with the ramifications of ego uh, jumping into it. Um, unfortunately, I think that we're starting to see um, this play out in a number of different scenarios where um, because the spiritual component uh, is in the church world, there's this thing of, well, this guy was my shepherd. Um, this pastor was someone who's influenced me. I, I love serving the ministry. I love this, 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 and this. Um, and so therefore, I was okay with it for a season. And then you finally reach a breaking point, And then we start throwing around words like uh, you use, Lee, of spiritual abuse, um, which is really, really damaging because not only are we dealing with our church baggage and our church hurt, which I constantly feel like I'm talking to fellows about um, when they come and visit or when we go uh, you know, visit with them when we're on the road. But um, now we're also trying to, they, a lot of that same church hurt gets played that blame gets placed on God and you find this place yeah. of I'm burned out, I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I'm angry. And you go, well, wait, 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 wait. We have to separate those two because that's not who he is. Um, that's, that's the pain of my heart is that I feel like in the last six to nine months, um, six to nine months, I've had this conversation over and over and over again with leaders where I go, okay, that is a terrible situation, and what happened to you is awful. That's not who I believe Jesus to be when I read the Scripture, and that's not who I know God to be. And being able to, to rip those two things apart so that we can deal with them separately um, is a really difficult challenge. It's so much easier when you're working in the uh, secular world, uh, the non-vocational church world to be able to go, oh, that dude's just a jerk, man. Like, I'm out. Like, it's fine. You know, let's just move on. Yeah. You you actually don't carry that weight all that much. Yes, it's it's hurtful. Yes, it's a bad season, whatever the case may be. But when you start mixing in this, this was my shepherd, this was my pastor, this was my mentor, this is who I looked to, um, things hurt so much more. Um, and the weight and the pain of that is so much more drastic. Um, and ultimately, um, there's probably a lot of counsel uh, that's needed to even just work through that. It would be very, very easy for us to talk about the, the victim side of this because of what you just said, because this happened to me. Mm -hmm. And I've got my own version of that. I could do the exact same thing about what I me what too. I, I dealt with, right? Me we too. all we all do. But also, like, well, what what part of my ego and my pride caused me to pick up that phone at 10 o'clock and stay on the phone till 1 a.m. and build resentment up in the relationship with my wife? Like yeah. there's there's that too. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm I'm not justifying any kind no. of behavior, but at the same time, it's like well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to lose my job or I feel like I'm called to serve this guy. And so it, it is complex and it's super nuanced. It is. Well, especially for somebody who's a high executing level production person, a lot of us 
see those moments as almost a badge of honor. It's like, I'm the go-to guy. I'm the problem solver. I'm the one that they trust to pull this thing off. And that kind of pride gets in the equation. And it's like, I, I have a sense of yeah. puffed up and boastfulness to go, I'm the one that gets to be the guy, yeah. right? I'm the one that they turn to anytime they have a problem. So I'm going to, I'm going to just let that happen because. Because my dad never do- told me he was proud of me and I need that. Right. Right. Exactly. There's a quest for, there's, yeah, I mean, there's a quest for significance within that, right? That I think is, totally. um, you know, I am the fella, you know, that, that they're going to call on when, when stuff is bad. Um, I was talking to an audio director uh, probably two weeks ago who was saying, I'm the only guy that pastor wants behind a console. They have five other people on the team, but I'm the only guy that pastor wants. Um, and I haven't had but one day off in a year. Uh, one Sunday off in a year, and I'm going. That's not healthy. Like that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. And so uh, when you start to think about all those different services, all those different moments that uh, you're stealing away from your family, uh, so that you can be the guy. Um, how long does that last? How long will that dog hunt? I don't think very right. long well, until you find out. I would hope that that pastor who says he's the only one he wants behind the console would be really upset and hurt that he hadn't taken a Sunday off and probably be surprised by it. He may not even know. And, and if not, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Those right. are the types of cultures and environments you go. Okay. Is this best for me and my family? Should I go get on a tour bus? Should I go work at home Depot? Yeah. By the way, we love home Depot. I, I, I was there <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Nick, you guys talk a lot about culture Yeah, and, and vision. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to churches, you know, there is um, the importance of clarity around vision mm-hmm. and communicating it clearly, writing it down. But it's more than just uh, vinyl letters on a wall, right? It's, it, it has to become a part of the DNA. But what do you do when culture starts to drift? Mm-hmm. Or these things like I, I, I have several friends who are production directors who were there from the beginning when the church wasn't mega, when it was 15 people in a living room and it grew to thousands, right? That, that story is fairly common with several of our friends mm-hmm. who've been around church for a long time. And there's this sort of everybody's holding on for dear life, white knuckled, just thrilled to be able to pull this thing off every week. And now we're multi-campus, we're, you know, broadcast, we're doing all these things. At some point, the clarity that we had at the beginning either gets diluted or it's not communicated as effectively because new people have come in. The org chart is now full of names that we didn't even know would we would need at the beginning of the organization. And now it's just become a little bit diluted. And yeah. so when that kind of drift or that kind of shift starts to happen, how do you encourage people to either get back inside the guardrails or realign or do whatever it takes to get that back? Because I think a lot of this is based around some of that too. 
Yeah, I think there's a couple different uh, points to that that I think are really important to think about. I was I was having this conversation with a executive pastor of a, a really large church uh, just the other day, and uh, he was talking to me about how they've had so much staff turnover, um, and how there's only a handful of people that are that were in the early days that are you know basically the same scenario you just described. Um, some of those folks are still around, but they've just added crazy numbers uh, to the staff. And I said, well, how often do you revisit your core values and your mission and the vision of where you believe, uh, you know, and what God's called you to with your your staff? And he's like, uh, we, we haven't. And I'm like, okay, so how do they become more than letters on a wall? And how does it work itself into the fabric and the DNA of your staff? Um, and so ultimately, too, I think... Um, Here's here's something that I'm I'm wrestling with right now, and this might take us in a rabbit trail, so I apologize. But um, you know, as we're as we're growing older, um, there's a lot more gray in my beard today than there was uh, a handful of years ago. Um, I've started to realize that I've evolved as a person. There are things that uh, things I used to believe in, or things that I used to hold really close to the to the vest and think were super important. Some of that stuff has fallen away, and my focus has gotten so much more laser on these are the things that are really most important in this moment. That's okay for us as humans, but a lot of times we don't allow our organizations to evolve in the same way. And I think that it's important every couple of years to look at the values, look at the mission, and look at the the things that we're putting our hands to as a community and go, is this really what we believe is true for us today? Um, And if not, do we give ourselves permission to make some changes and to make some uh, and communicate that stuff to our people. Um, But ultimately, too, like we've got to continually as leaders um, put the vision and the values in front of our people often uh, over and over and over again, because um, we can say it once and we think everybody got it. Uh, The truth is, is that probably nine tenths of the people in the room were like, Oh, what was that? I don't I don't know. I was checking my Instagram account when you were saying that from the front at all staff meeting, right? And so ultimately, I think it we have to constantly be in a place of evaluation and saying, are we doing exactly what we believe God's called us to in this season? Um, and then two, are we constantly communicating who we are to our people and investing in them, encouraging them, inspiring them, and building them up um, to grow them into this family so that that vision can then leak out into all the different areas and compartments of the ministry. Um, If your worship fella doesn't understand uh, the origin story of the church and also just like who you've been called to be in your community, that's a problem. Um, If your audio director doesn't understand why we're doing a certain thing um, and how that aligns with our values, then ultimately what are we doing? Um, I think it's really, really, really important to not make assumption that everybody gets it and that everybody's on the same page. We actually need to assume the opposite and go, we're not all on the same page. And so therefore we're gonna keep talking about it um, until you wanna punch me in the face um, and to tell me to stop talking about it because then we actually know we've all got it and we're all together and there's unity on the team. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Do you think though, that is a big reason why there's been so much turnover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at it, so like I, I heard it 
uh, I was, I'm listening to this really great audiobook at the moment. Um, and he was talking about this, you know, present generation, um, is a generation that really it's not about pay for them. It's about significance and wanting to be able to put their hands to something that matters. Um, and I think that what's happening is, is that there's a lot of folks that are finding themselves in positions where they go, I don't know if what I do matters. I don't know if I'm making a dent. I don't know if if this really is significant. And dude, I don't know if I align with yeah. where we are right now, so I'm out. Um, and then there's some other folks that are going, well, why can't it just be like it used to always be? And they go, well, we're evolving and shifting and changing as an organization as culture is shifting and you know all these different things and the way in which we feel like God's called us to do ministry, that's changing. And they're going, dude, I, I don't know if I get it anymore. So we're seeing two kind of different sides of the coin with, but it's, it, we're seeing a mass exodus at this point. Um, I literally am getting text messages or phone calls uh, or emails uh, weekly from guys that are like, you know what, I'm, I, I think it's time for me to move on. Um, yeah. And they, they don't really, at first it's kind of like, oh, I just want to do this or this. And it's like, no, when you really press them, it's like, I don't align with the vision and the mission because I'm not even sure what it is. Uh, at this point anymore, and I'm just literally uh, doing tasks um, and checking the boxes, or uh, and I'm burned out and I'm tired, um, or it's I don't feel like what I'm doing is significant and I don't feel like I'm making an impact and I want to go somewhere where I can make an impact. This is an interesting take. I haven't thought about it this way, but I think I think you're right. I don't know how many of it, what the percentage is, but I think you are right because when you ask someone, especially with what we do, well, why are you leaving? They immediately go to the really bad stuff to justify leaving. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not paid well and I got poor boundaries and my family life sucks because of the church. I'm like, Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. That's a big statement there, bro. Like, yeah, hold on. But it could be like you're saying since spring of 2020, Mm -hmm the church, local churches, local church communities have had to respond and change sometimes. Well, some of them changed every three months, mm-hmm. according to what pandemic, epidemic, pandemic, whatever it was that was popping up every three or four months. And it was so fast that our teams, worship teams, they did become here's your job checklist. It's just, I'm doing a task and I have no idea what the church is even doing right now. We're half the size that we were. Everyone's scrambling. The pastors are trying new ideas, trying to get everybody to come back. And it's just a tornado of vision. It's not mm-hmm. that there's not one. It's that it's changing every 10 days. Right. But it's easy to go, well, I'm leaving because I'm underpaid and I work 80 hours a week. Yeah. And that's, that's a health, un, a, a conversation that needs to be had with your leadership team to go, hey, I love it here, um, but here's some things that I'm struggling with. Um, and yeah. it needs to be a healthy dialogue. Um, it, it can be a conflict um, if you want to label it as that. But um, I, I really believe that um, a lot of a lot of leaders would be really open to that conversation if it was approached appropriately. But I think yeah. 
a lot of times we don't have that conversation because of the narrative and the story that's in our head that's going, this isn't going to be received well. I'm going to get fired anyway. They won't do this. It's always been this case. And you start using always and never. And you've built now this big monstrosity of a mountain that you have to climb to even get yourself to have that conversation instead of just going, man, we all love Jesus. We love each other. We say we're family when we talk about our, you know, church family. Okay, cool. If we're family, let's have a family conversation, right? Like it's not all unicorns and ponies, but yet at the same time, if you handle yourself with humility, with grace, the fruits of the spirit, whoa, like you may get a a raise, you may get some boundaries and you may get encouraged uh, by the leadership team that, uh, you know, you're so afraid of to have that conversation. And well, I, I, I don't know. I live in Louisville, Kentucky and I should quit because Mark Driscoll's an asshole. That's how I, (laughs) oh man. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, but uh, I worked for a senior pastor who used to have, when you would go into his office to uh, share a gripe or a complaint, he had pacifiers that he had in a drawer and he'd slide them across the table. Uh, Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, I've got some wounds. I've got some things. Yeah. Uh, he didn't last very long. I, I outlasted him. Uh, however, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a conversation that I would promote people to have um, if you feel like um, there's a possibility that it could go well. Um, if it, I, if you're already, I know in a you're situ- right. If there's already a, a scenario where the guy's like you know, a complete and total jerk to you every single, you know, time you see him, eh, that's, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. Um, but I don't, I don't know many examples of when we've recommended people do this, that it's gone poorly. Mm-hmm. I, one story, as you're saying that there's a friend of ours and I'm not going to say his name, but he's listening to this and I know he'll hear it. He's a veteran and he's a church production manager at a significant size church. Mm-hmm. And my guy was done. He was fried. And when he's telling me it's, they don't care. I'm underpaid. I work too much. He was done so much so that I thought, okay, old boy's done. He, he should probably go do something else. And then I was like, Hey, have you at least like had like a humble conversation with him and just say, Hey, here's where I'm at. And here's the actual health of the team. And he hadn't, he just thought it'll never go well. Yeah. He starts interviewing at not churches, gets a job offer. And before he said yes to the job offer, he's like, okay, hell Mary, I'm going to go meet with the executive pastor and laid it all out. And I'm pretty sure he's still there, but I'm pretty sure it was one of those. I work less. I got a raise and they hired me an assistant and now I love my job. (laughs) Wow. Well, and a lot of that is, you know, some of it stems from ignorance on the behalf of senior leadership that thinks that production is just an extension of the facilities team or the IT department. And they don't really know what's required to not only execute uh, a given weekend, but recruit volunteers and retain and support them and be pastoral with them and be an expert on the latest gear and manage budgets and all the stuff. It's like, you know, as, as things have gotten more complex, especially for churches who weren't utilizing much technology before COVID and then had to shift and pivot toward broadcast and those kind of things, much of the senior leadership was unaware of what it would take to pull that off. So sometimes it is a simple matter of having an honest conversation. Um, Well, and I, 
you bring up a great point though it's awareness right and i think that there's this assumption um that senior leadership teams know what production folks do um and at the end of the day they're they're probably not thinking about it um they want to know that you know sunday goes off without a hitch they want to know that you know their microphone works when they're going up to do announcements and or preach a sermon. Yep. Um, and they want to make sure that the graphics look great and that it sounds good in the room. Outside of that, they're like, I don't know what you do. Uh, you know, Monday through Saturday. Um, oh, you're there for a rehearsal on a Thursday night or something. Okay. Wow, your life's hard. <laughs> you know, there's like there's right. this like there's this whole like just out of sight, out of mind, um, and ultimately. If we were good about kind of uh, cataloging what our hours really are and where we're spending our time and the things that we're kind of not because we need to cover our butts, but ultimately too, like to just bring in an awareness of here's kind of what my my week looks like um, and just kind of sharing that with the the leadership team, I think that would change some perspective. Um, And I think that that raising an awareness would immediately uh, help some folks get a little more grace um, back to them. And then ultimately, too, I think the conversation that uh, your buddy had, uh, I think a lot more folks would be in that same scenario. Or they they get micromanaged, mm-hmm. right? Or it's, well, my executive pastor just wants to nickel and dime everything, and they don't trust me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean when you ask for a half million dollar LED wall, Mr. 23-year-old, that mm-hmm. they they drilled you? Yeah. Well, your rent on the house you don't own, 22-year-old, is 1200 bucks a month, and you're asking for a half million dollars? Yeah. I would be asking a lot of questions, too, if I were him. Yeah. I think um, one of the biggest building blocks to trust is communication. Um, if you're not communicating and openly having dialogue with your leadership team about Um, not only just, uh, that's the other mistake that I see a lot of tech folks make. I only engage with them when I know I need money. Okay. That's terrible. Um, it's like, okay, let's, let's actually go out and say, Hey, can I buy you a coffee? Um, and just hear your heart. I want to know your story. I want to know who you are, um, build some relationship. And then ultimately too, as that relationship develops, you can begin to bring up kind of some, Hey, you know what? You're dreaming about this from a ministry perspective, from a technology perspective, we're actually hamstrung because we can't do that with our present setup. And here's what I think would be a really great way to, uh, you know, answer that vision need with a technology, you know, uh, solution. And so ultimately I think a lot of people are missing the boat on that because the more and more that we communicate, the more and more, um, I, I say this all the time to the guys around here, um, as we communicate more, it helps me see your judgment. It helps me know where your head's at. It helps me trust you and give you tons of rope uh, because I go, man, that's awesome. Um, if we can agree on the outcome um, and what the experience and what the expectation should be, um, I don't need to be in the messy middle of the, you know, every little in and out of the detail, but I just go, man, that's my guy and I trust him, you know, yeah. and I think that that's that's missing in a lot of uh, leadership team and production folks relationship right now. Well, I think it's little things like for, for, for a young guy, especially like to go into a meeting like that with a specific agenda that has talking points that has, you know, it's not just a uh, random conversation, but it's intentional. It's researched. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. you have specific things that you want to discuss that are actually you know, outlined in your mind that you have prepared for this conversation. It's not just a 
whining and complaining conversation, but it's intentional and strategic. So many people would be more impressed with you if you had talking points when you walked into a room rather than just this sort of random idea that you want to throw against the wall. So, you know, it's, it's little things like being an, being an adult. I mean, it's, it's amazing how, you know, I don't want to pick on all the young people, but it's amazing how sometimes communication skill and specificity in communication is lacking. Mm-hmm. We've, we're given a, a people a lot of reasons why they should stay working mm-hmm. at a church. And I, and I think this is good because I think a lot of people that are leaving and going to get quote unquote real jobs yeah. are in for a bit of a rude awakening on what a real job's actually like. Mm-hmm. Because in a real job, if it's not nonprofit, it's for profit and you have to profit. And if you don't, you lose your job or someone does if the company's right. not making money. Right. You know, so dealing with things like, actual vacation schedules and requesting time off and no you cannot just show up to work 15 minutes late because yeah. you were running behind this morning i mean there's just so many things i think people aren't prepared for going into work in the real world mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally agree with you and i think um you know a lot of times when i feel that call i mean just based on my own story um you know i left full-time vocational you know uh ministry um, found myself in, you know, Boulder, Colorado and had a couple mouths to feed and was like, I pulled the ripcord. I was like, I'm out. I got to go. Um, did I know really what I was going to? Not really. Um, it was the craziest time of my life. Um, but I had reached a point of I'm done. Um, there wasn't any more talking about it at that point. Um, and for me, man, I, I really wrestled probably for a couple of years with just the rude awakening of, okay, what did I just do? Um, I went from feeling uh, all of this tension, frustration, and headache, and all that stuff was there. It was painful. It was a terrible thing. Go watch my story on Summit TV if you really want to dive in and listen to it all. But um, at the end of the day, for years, I wrestled with, here I am now working in the secular world, um, still feeling like I've got this thing in my heart that is really unfulfilled in regards to you know, really helping people and wanting to make an impact and um, caring very deeply, uh, you know, about uh, church and uh, how that influenced my own spiritual journey. And so I think for me, I would always tell people, make sure you've counted that cost. Don't be uh, so uh, quick decision, uh, you know, shallow minded in that you just, oh, it's frustrating. I'm out. Um, And then you didn't really count that cost. And your quest back is difficult. It really is. Um, and I think that um, you're going to, it can, if you're not careful, can really have a dramatic impact, not only on your own uh, spiritual journey and your own walk with the Lord, but ultimately too on your family um, and also too just on your own sanity and mental health and the whole process. It is brutal. Um, and ultimately, we even, even here at Summit, we've had some fellows that have left uh, the church world and going, man, I want to do something, you know, bigger and I want to help more churches. And I I dig it all. Um, but even in that they left on good terms, left with beautiful hearts, uh, came here and went, man, y'all move fast. (laughs) It's like, we just, let let me, let me say that a different way. Cause it'll sound weird coming from you. Yeah. It is harder for them leaving the church TD. And when they get a project manager job and an integrator, they find, oh, this is way harder. 
it's hard. It's hard. There's so yeah. many different moving parts, and not just an in, not just an integrator, but a manufacturer. No. Any any job that would involve production, production yeah. manager on a tour, manufacturer job, project manager at an integrator, is all harder than 99% of people's church jobs. Yeah. 100%. And we spend so much time interviewing folks uh, to make sure they're coming for the right reasons. Um, and because uh, honestly, man, I, I, I really, uh, for me, it's about going, man, I want to make sure that people leave well, um, but also I want to make sure that they're not cynical um, because ultimately we all have a little level of cynic in us. Um, but if you have a cynicism uh, towards the church world, then ultimately I always say, uh, cynicism is cancer and cancer kills. And so ultimately yeah. I can't, I can't have it. Um, I want to make sure our yeah. hearts are pure and, uh, and that we're actually thinking about things the right way. But even at that folks will go, I love what we're doing right now, but Holy crap, this is hard. <laughs> this is a lot. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's switch gears for a second. Yeah. That's a lot of reasons why people should stay and how to stay. When should people leave? we can all just jump in. Well, and here's here's a, a, a parallel to that question. How do you know when the culture is truly toxic? Be- yeah. Because I think, you know, it. If, if there's just some things that you don't like, that's one thing. But if it's toxic, that means it's damaging. And mm-hmm. so if if it's going to be a culture that turns to cynicism that turns to bitterness that turns to resentment that turns to all the things that you're talking about that lead to cancer that's actually not healthy so how do you differentiate between the two if it's just something that is distasteful to you because you don't like the preference or it's truly abusive and toxic because i think those are two very different things i don't think you can know unless you're willing to ask and talk about it openly either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's just make up some examples that our, our mega church pastor friends can get accused of or worship leaders for that matter. Anybody, whatever. Um, w- we've mentioned this a few times. Let's just go with that. So Saturday night church is happening the next morning, 10 o'clock, you get a call from worship leader, pastor, and then you're on the phone for an hour talking about work. Is that okay? Well, it depends. Is it one time? Is it over and over? Or is it weekly? And have you said or had the opportunity to say, hey, can we do this another time? Like 10 o'clock phone calls at night. Like they they happen too much. I've got to reserve that space for my family. Like whatever version of that healthy, uh, what do you call it? Healthy boundary. When you bring that up, if it's met with... No, and because I'm the senior pastor and I'm the boss and whatever, well, that's not healthy. So if there's multiple things like that happening or you find yourself behaving in a way that's fear-based, mm-hmm. because you, you, we do this for this person because if we don't, they'll respond in this way. Right. Mm-hmm. Those aren't good. Yeah. But when you, But you have to bring it up. You have to say something. Right. Yeah. You have to either go to them or go to your immediate boss and just say like, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Am I missing something? Is there some information I don't have? 
or is there something we can do to change this? And if there isn't, and that stuff just keeps happening over and over and it causes you to have a, a moral check or it's affecting your personal life, your health, your mental health, spiritual, physical, your family, and nothing's changing even after you've brought it up and you're told to just kind of fall in line or go, then I think you go. Yeah, that's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally 100% agree with you, Lee. I think the other aspect of that is, um, you know, I think you, you got to go down the list, right, of like, um, first off, there's always uh, prayer and discernment, right? Like, it's like, okay, you kind of yeah. know in your gut. Um, and I would say, first off, go to your prayer closet or wherever that is and have a conversation with Jesus about it um, to ask him to lead you and to guide you and give you wisdom and grace during that season. By the way, just um, a little side note. Can we park here for a second? Because yeah. I am not, I'm not sure that enough production leaders actually spend time praying. And I, I don't, I don't want to overgeneralize. I don't want to overassume or overcriticize. But there are a lot of friends of mine who were full-time church production folks, whose lives aren't characterized necessarily by a close walk with Jesus. And maybe I just have a lot of bad friends, but sometimes I can't tell if their life is based in prayer or not. So not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying, take Nick's words to heart that it, it has to be a part of any of these kinds of choices and decisions. I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think, um, Jeff, I, I mean, I've walked through, um, some really gnarly situations in my life. Um, and I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine, um, at the gym and I was just talking to him about how much, um, one, I've leaned on the Lord in a, in a matter of prayer, um, in a, in a place of prayer. But then also I, I stand in confidence because I've seen, the faithfulness of God throughout all of these different scenarios in my, you know, experience of life. And so those two things have been really big, uh, you know, helps to me um, as I've navigated through challenging situations. I think the other uh, part of that is um, I would lean into, uh, if you're married, lean into your spouse. Um, how do you feel uh, and, and sit down with your spouse? How do you feel about my job? How do you feel about this? How do you give me your real take on X, Y, or Z? And I, I don't think you'll have to poke that bear too much to get some responses. Um, and I think that ultimately, yeah. uh, you know, that's a really good sign of, uh, Hey, you know what? There might be, it might be time for a change. Um, and, uh, and so I think that, that that's really good. And then on top of that, I would hope that you would have a close friend or a mentor that you could process with um, that could go, hey, man, how do you, how am I, when I start talking about my job or over the years as I've worked in this, what do you, what have you noticed change about me or, you know, some of those types of things and let that also be a nice mark for you to be able to go, okay, 
they've seen a bunch more. I, I'm way more edgy since I've taken this job. In the last six months, I've been, you know, over the top and self-medicating in X, Y, or Z way. Or, you know what, I've actually, uh, I've been kicking the dog a heck of a lot more um, than normal. You know, those types of things. And you're like, okay, there's a pressure in you that needs to be released. And ultimately, it's either a conversation that you need to have that maybe you've been unwilling to have. Or it's time for you to go, you know what, for my health of me and for my family and for my sanity, it's probably time for me to move on. I still love Jesus. I still want to figure out um, how I can use my gifts and my talents to, you know, maybe at another ministry or another place down the road. Um, if you're open to that, I'm sure there's tons of uh, headhunting uh, organizations that can help you find a new uh, a new spot. Um, but I, I think one of the biggest things in all of this um, is fear. Because yep. there's this fear of unknown of, uh, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. Yeah. Um, real fear. That's real. Um, that's a big deal. But that fear has become, I think, all too often paralyzing for folks because we would say the hell that I know is greater than the hell that I don't. Um, and so ultimately, I'm willing to stay in this bad, abusive, toxic, whatever relationship instead of potentially venturing out um, and starting fresh and starting new, that seems scarier than I can just deal with this over here because I've been doing it for the last five, seven, 10 years, whatever the case may be. Um, and that to me um, is, is painful to watch because um, I can tell you, man, um, if you feel in your spirit and in your heart uh, from the Lord, like it's time to move on, he will not leave you hanging. Um, and honestly, even if that next place you land isn't perfect and isn't amazing, there's still something that you're going to learn in that season that's going to be great. That's good. Um, you just have to go in with a beginner's mind and with open hands going, all right, Lord, what is it that you have for me? And I know that you're not going to lead me off the edge of a cliff and say, see ya. That's just not his nature. It's not his character. That's not who he is. Um, he's always faithful um, and he will always uh, provide. And so ultimately, um, you know, I think we need to, to lean in there a little bit. That's good. That's really good. Uh, let's talk about money. Ooh. I think it is okay for a reason that you're leaving a job, be financial. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And even, gosh, I almost said the word calling. I think there's a, there's a conversation to be had with about calling mm -hmm. and how it can be manipulated and, mm -hmm. and be used for good. But, the money thing's a big one too. Like, and we've been talking about this and that anonymous Q and a thing I did last week, somebody in the questions, I didn't repost it cause I wanted to hit it here said, well, you, you just said, uh, now church tech director jobs can pay enough to support a family. But a few months ago you said the average salary is 38,000, which is it? It's both. It's still both. I think still for the most part, most full-time jobs in the U S there's still one person on staff leading a team of volunteers. They're doing everything. It's a church of four or five, 600, and it's 38, 40, $42,000 a year. And it's a younger person. And that's what it's going to be. And frankly, I think that's what it should be. I think that's about right for most. I'm generalizing most, most areas in the country of uh, like a medium cost of living. But now what we're seeing is the big boy churches, the mega churches, the five, 10, 15, 20 thousands 
have open seats on their team and they are paying more than ever, my friend. And it's significant. And it, it is to the point where you may be at one of those churches making 38000 and can go to another church in town and double your salary. That's actually possible now. And yeah, it did just happen in the last six months. It, I feel like people started leaving and it wasn't easy for churches to hire people. And then now they're going, well, what do we need to pay? And it's, it's changed things. Am I wrong in that? Are y'all seeing that too? I'm seeing it across the board. Um, yeah. That there's a yeah, it's labor labor in general, really. Yeah, I think um, there's a there's a huge labor shortage, um, and I think that churches, just due to the nature of um, you know what they're trying to do, and there's an excitement around the mission and the vision, and and ultimately there's always. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of bodies to choose from, right? Of um, there's a lot of you know butts and seats that um, are volunteering, or maybe you've had a volunteer for a long time that you can reach out to and go, hey, would you ever want to do this? You know, full time, you could fill a seat. That's not yeah. necessarily the case anymore, um, no. and so um, it's becoming more and more difficult, especially as churches are relying. I think the pandemic, um, if if anything, I think. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things that I would actually say in that season. I think we learned a lot um, and maybe it was good, but I think it shined a light on the technology folks and people started to realize, oh, we can't do this without them. Um, right. Oh my gosh. Like, so there is a, a greater level of awareness around the need uh, for those people. But then at the same time, none of those folks really got much of a break during the pandemic and you're seeing a lot of them leave. And so they're like, Oh crud! Now what are we gonna do? Like he knew everything, um, and yep. so um, they're trying to f- scramble and find folks. Um, and I think they realized that there was a massive pay gap. Um, but we also have, you know, kind of some interesting things happening in our economy right now um, yeah. that ultimately too has affected um, overall cost of living in a pretty dramatic way. Um, and so, uh, so folks are starting to wake up and realize that that thirty, you know, eight to forty two in some of these major cities is just not going to cut it if you really want to keep people because uh, truthfully they can go down to Chick-fil-A or they could go down to a handful of these other uh, places, do a labor job um, and have their Sundays off um, to be with their family and go hiking or do whatever they want to do or attend church um, and uh, have a lot less stress um, and make same money, if not more. Um, So I think too, because then I think about the people who don't want any more money, and I think that's fine. I don't think people should feel bad about it. I think it's how you're wired, you know, and what's important to you and the responsibilities that you have. Like, we, we know a guy, a close friend of mine, who is just fine being the audio director at one campus at a church for the rest of his life. He'll do that job for 30 years and he'll make a decent salary. And he's as happy as he could ever be. He doesn't want the stress and the pressures that come along with more responsibility and in turn more finances. It's just not, it's just not him. And I think that's respectable. But for those that are going, no, my family's got goals. We want to do certain things. I want to send my kids to college and pay for it. You're not going to be able to do that at church at 800 being the tech director. Most likely it's just not going to happen. So there's going to come a time where you probably are going to be forced into some conversations about, Hey, what what's my long-term potential here? Is there another position I can take? We've, we've said this a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Is there a path to become an executive pastor? Is there 
something to stay inside that church. And then if there's not, then you start looking on the outside and then it's another church and then maybe a manufacturer or you go work for Nick cause he's awesome and he'll pay you whatever you want. But <laughs> are you guys true. hiring? Are you guys hiring? <laughs> a lot of positions open. Yeah. We got okay. Lots, lots yeah. of them. Yeah. But that brings up another thing too. I think if you've decided it's time for you to go and leave the church you're at, that doesn't mean you can't go to another church. No, totally. There's so many great churches looking for people. Yeah. And I still think they're dream jobs. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. It could be that you decide that you want to stay in ministry, but the technology side of production may not be able to support what you're talking about. So maybe it's a healthy conversation about, hey, what if the church helped me go to seminary and I could serve in another area of the church? Like, you know, I love my volunteer team at my church. Could I work in groups or help you know other parts of the ministry thrive or create a new ministry you know inside or outside the church with the church's help i mean there's a lot of really interesting creative opportunities that somebody might have that may not involve twisting knobs and pushing faders on a console yeah and i think uh going back to what we were just talking about a, a few minutes ago though that's all about communication and relationship you can't have those dreamy conversations if you have zero relationship with anybody on your leadership team, other than right. uh, the random phone call that you get at you know ten o'clock on a Saturday, um, and uh, and when your mic and pastor up. If that's if that is the only bit of conversation you have with anybody on the leadership team, um, okay, you're not going to have that ethereal, dreamy. Hey, where what could happen? You know and. Uh, that's a conversation that takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of uh, nurturing and care um, because uh, as you're spitballing and dreaming out loud, um, some of those dreams that you might stumble upon are pretty fragile. And if you have no relationship with that pastor or with that leader, um, that's going to be a difficult conversation to broach um, and to step into. Um, I agree with you too, Lee, about there's a lot of dream jobs out there. I mean, that's one of the beauties of what we get to do at Summit, man. Like, there are so many churches that I could throw their names out right now and you'd go, I've never heard of them. They are some of the coolest people <laughs> and they're doing <laughs> really cool stuff. Yep. Um, and they are making a major impact in their city. And every single time I get on the road and go check it out, I just walk away going, dang, that's cool. <laughs> like, that is so rad. Um, and I love those dudes. Like, that's just how I feel. And so um, I actually, I, I think there's uh, more opportunity out there right now um, than people even realize. Um, and yeah. it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of great churches doing really cool stuff um, and uh, are not, um, I wouldn't put them in the category of like most of what we're talking about right now. No, um, I know. You know, and it's just like, man, there's a few, right? Like we all know somebody who's got some church hurt, some baggage and has had, um, you know, a terrible experience. However, there are so many great communities out there um, and that's why I love what we get to do. Well, and I think that's the whole point at the end of the day is that, yeah. you know, what we're talking about is for us not to be just poisoned by a couple of weird stories or bad apples. That, you know, the fact is that this is a thriving expression in most places that continues to need to be nurtured by good people. And so, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's, that's my hope is that we'll continue to foster a tribe of people who wants to do that for their life's work. 
my family loves going to national parks. We've talked about that a lot. And every time that we do a tour or something that's guided with a ranger or a volunteer at the park, it's the same archetype person, right? It's someone who's retired, who may have a successful business career. We just did this at the Hearst Castle in the central California coast. And you get a tour of this $5 billion castle is what it's worth now. The state parks bought it. But the guy giving us the tour, he's just the happiest guy and loves this place. And I just think like whenever I retire, I I want a job that is the same way he feels about this, right? Yeah. And you know what job I think about would be perfect? A church of 800 people in Bozeman, Montana with my three best friends. Yeah. That's where I want to be. Yeah. It's easy and it's fulfilling and it's super fun. Yeah. So do you guys want to plant a church in Bozeman in 10 years? Yeah, Bozeman's awesome. Sure. (laughs) Okay. And then in the meantime, let's build a company that helps support church production people with our best friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that the name of the game though, too, is like, um, I mean, I think there's, I love this topic and I love what you guys are talking about and kind of even just, I've, it's been sprinkled all throughout um, the last several months of the podcast, but um, it's not just about the craft. It's about developing people um, and helping raise them up. And I think that that's uh, whether it's physical health or mental health or, you know, even just helping them understand, uh, you know, how to have conversations with people um, and to grow as leaders, I think um, is how uh, we're going to see some people stay in this for the long haul and for the right reasons. Um, And also, I think, too, um, I always thought about change when I think about the uh, when I think about the American church culture, if I really want to see the culture change, I have to be within it in some way, shape or form. Um, instead of a voice that's on the outskirts pointing in going, you need to fix all this. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's easy for you to say you, you pulled the ripcord and got out. Um, so ultimately, like if we really do believe, um, that our lives are supposed to be, you know, one that, that has lasting impact, I think it's important to at times stay in the game and continue to keep having the conversation. Right. Um, because I think a lot of these church cultures are the way they are because no one ever said anything. Um, and no one raised a hand and went, Hey, can I ask a question? And <laughs> this feels a little weird to me. Yeah. Can someone explain it to me? Or, you know what? Something's not sitting right in my heart. Can we have this? Can I have a coffee with you and just, you know, and spend 15 minutes talking through it? And it could be something like, Hey, uh, guys, Dame Bales noticed the emperor has no clothes. Like, yeah, it could be something that obvious, or it could be yeah. something that just is insidious and trickles over time. Either way, you have to be honest about those conversations. But if you have a heart for the Lord, you are uh, a person who uh, you know has spent some time in some prayer, um, and ultimately you approach those conversations with humility. Um, I would be shocked and dumbfounded um, if that wasn't received well. Uh, I just would be. And if it's not, and if it's not, then that's an indication that you might be right. There really is a problem. Right. Here, here's your sign. Here's your sign. So, how, <laughs> how about some resources? Obviously, there are classic books like Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. If you haven't, yep. if you haven't read it, you need to go get it and read it. What about other other books that can help kind of navigate this? I, I think he even did a a, diff, a separate edition. It was called Boundaries for Leaders that I think is really good. Um, that I just finished not too long ago. 
Um, I think as you're on your own kind of uh, personal journey, I think it's really important for, well, this is going to be a kind of random, but I personally think Simon Sinek's book, uh, Start With Why, I think is really important for you to kind of understand why you do what you do. Um, because if you can at least get that solved, then you can start to look at the world around you and even the organization around you and start asking some interesting questions to really That's good. turn over some rocks um, that I think is really important. Uh, another one I really love um, that I don't think um, a lot of people have read, but there's a book called Extreme Ownership um, that it really all, is all about you. Uh, Jocko Willick and uh, I think it's Rafe Babbins wrote it. Um, and ultimately, there are some things in that book. Um, they tell cool war stories in the midst of all of it, too. But um, Extreme Ownership is a stinking fantastic book. Um, I would throw out two from Stephen Covey. Um, one would be that I'm, I'm finishing up right now. It's called Trust and Inspire. Um, and it is hands down my favorite leadership book that I've read in a, in a hot second. Um, and the other one is Speed, to Tr- Speed of Trust. Um, so those are, those are a couple things that I would throw out at you. All good. Also, Summit is hiring. Yes. So we are. How can people go find out what those positions are and maybe potentially apply? Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a spot on our about section on our website. We're actually going to launch a whole new careers page here uh, just shortly, um, kind of diving into not just uh, the positions that are open, but trying to help people understand the culture of the teams um, and then kind of looking at Summit through their lens, which is really kind of fun, um, so that people can get a little bit more of a sense of what does a project manager do or what does a, you know, a, an install foreman do or an install tech. And so um, those things will be launched in the next couple of days, um, if not weeks. And, uh, and ultimately, you can always hit us up um, on Instagram or Facebook or any of those places. Slide into the DMs and we'll, we'll send you links and all kinds of things. But um, I think we have probably eight, uh, eight or ten positions uh, open right now. Um, so it's, uh, things are growing. We're in a very busy, busy season. Um, and uh, it's exciting. So that's, uh, that's good. That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're hiring also. We're looking for a CMO. So if you're a church tech director who knows how to do some graphic design, you're for sure not qualified. I'm sorry. <laughs> we love you, but, but don't apply. But if you know someone who's a CMO of a startup or software company, holler at your boys. Send them our way. Yep. Um, there's some great churches that are looking. Flatirons. Uh, it reminds me because you guys are neighbors with them. We are. Flatirons is one of those super big churches that I think they're awesome. I think their pastor's awesome. Yeah. Um, and they got a bunch of open positions in Boulder. I mean, everybody's hiring right now. Yeah. I mean, I was just, uh, I met uh, with Tim Foote from Slingshot uh, the other day, just catching yeah. up, having a great coffee with them. And I love what those guys are doing. And honestly, um, he was just telling me about all these different open uh, positions at the moment. And I was just blown away with how many churches yeah. are, are expanding or they've had turnover and they're bringing uh, new people in. It's just, um, it's exciting right now. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity out there. Don't let the hell of the unknown be the thing that keeps you in your stuck position. Um, There's so much opportunity. um, And uh, if you need help, let us know. And if you're not stuck, if you're at a great church and you're thriving in your job, then we are for you and we are with you. And don't get discouraged by this conversation. I hope that you're encouraged, that you're in 
the wheelhouse of where God wants you to be and that you're thriving in your calling because that's really what we hope for, for everybody who's in the church. Tell someone about that. If you love your job at the church. Yeah. Tell someone. It's great. It's so good. All right. Well, boys. Well, thanks for the conversation, Nick. It's always a pleasure to hang out. And part two is going to be even better. So stay tuned for the next episode because we're going to dig even deeper into some of this stuff. So thanks for tuning in. And we love you guys. Can't wait to see you at the MXU Live Tour in the fall. So get your tickets for that. And uh, man, we're excited about what's coming. Thanks, guys, for having me.